Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The very concept of expertise is used as a weapon against people who might disagree. The expert class. In the same way, we see how college is utilized against people who don't have a college degree. A belief that, well, I went to college, I must know more than you. Uh, This person went to college, they clearly should be in charge, and their ideas are clearly better. It is this theory that somehow and in in some way, the number of degrees or where you got your college degree creates an enlightenment, creates the idea of a, well, a, a person imbued with secret knowledge. That they simply know better, that they simply know more, that they simply have capabilities that are not about the study of a subject, but really about the the totality of human existence, how to be a decent person, all comes from the degree. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. Let me be uh, clear about a few things. I don't oppose education. I do oppose indoctrination. And I certainly oppose a university system that only provides sheepskin based on how well one embraces their ideology. If you belong to a university, go to a university, know about a university that can see freshman students protesting a teacher and the university do something, engage in some kind of reprimand of that teacher. Well, unless that teacher was walking around punching students in the face with a brick, that's a university that has failed the students. Well, this teacher, my gosh, they're saying things we disapprove of. They're saying things that we think are mean or are gender inappropriate or are bigoted. Well, what did he say? Well, we can't even repeat what he said. And it turns out they didn't say anything wrong at all. And what is wrong? Because you didn't like it? Because you didn't agree with it? That's right. That's exactly right. We don't like it. And we don't agree with it. So therefore, it's wrong. Or worse. We don't like it. We don't agree with it. So therefore, it is evil. And this person needs to be made an example of. When you allow freshman students to decide for the organization, a university, how to educate, what you have stated as an as a educational institution is that you don't actually care about educating students. Education doesn't mean anything to you. You just want to get paid. All you want to do is get paid. Nothing more, nothing less. You don't care if these kids actually have a skill set. You don't care if they destroy themselves. A university should look at freshmen and say, shut up. You know nothing. 
You magnificent losers. And there's the door. Go. Leave. Bye. We'll get students who actually want to learn here. You're freshmen. You don't know anything. Oh, your parents told you you're smart? Your parents lied. Your parents are magnificent, awful liars who told you that you're smart because of your wokeness. Because you're smart because you 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 think you know this, you think you know that. Every generation thinks they know everything. Every generation then of course you realize knows nothing. You learn over time. I didn't say that you weren't particularly smart in a particular subject. But you walk into a university as a freshman, you decide you know better than the entire university and its history. That's that's psychotic. Universities that allow that. That's pure evil. They don't deserve your respect and they don't deserve your money. You see a university given to college students, given to to freshmen, run the other direction. And if you belong to a university that will kowtow to freshmen, understand how weak and pathetic you are. You've shown us what you're all about. But yet, in the end, these petulant children are given degrees by, well, older petulant children. And with that degree, they believe they have secret knowledge. As David Mamet uh, wrote in his book about secret knowledge, you've heard Barry Weiss discuss it when referring to the New York Times when she left. This idea that they simply know better. This got well explained by a teacher in Arizona. And what they are addressing here is something called SB 1700. Requires the Arizona Department of Education to maintain a list of books that public educational institutions may not use or make available to students, including books that are lewd or sexual, promote gender fluidity or gender pronouns, or groom children into normalizing pedophilia. Grants parents the right to request removal of school district or charter school library or classroom materials, extends public review periods for library materials and district textbooks, and removes exceptions from district curriculum approval and school library access requirements. People look at these kinds of things and they say, oh, you want to ban books? Whoa, 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 whoa. Nobody is suggesting book banning. I would oppose book banning. This is in a school library, and it is, by definition, different. I didn't say the public library. I never once thought it was wrong to have a book about Maplethorpe in a public library. Oh, you're going to have to look up Robert Maplethorpe on your own time, and you might want to do it on somebody else's computer and somebody else's browser history. Big, big, big talk back in the day regarding Robert Maplethorpe photos. You can determine them pornographic. I make no objection to you determining them pornographic. The objection is that you would think that somehow they shouldn't be allowed to be printed. That, of course, is wrong. Maplethorpe books in a school library, a middle school library, a high school library, equally wrong. And parents have the absolute right to say, nope, that's not happening. That is not happening. This idea of parents and rights is where the false armor of the degree comes into play.
It is this belief that somehow the experts have beyond just a knowledge base, a secret knowledge of being better than you, of telling you how to live. This is a teacher in Arizona discussing SB 1700. 41 seconds, her own words. I have a master's degree because when I got certified, I was told I had to have a master's degree to be an Arizona certified teacher. We all have advanced degrees. What do the parents have? Are we vetting the backgrounds of our parents? Are we allowing the parents to choose the curriculum and the books that our children are going to read? I think that it's a mistake. I'm just speaking from the heart. Um, the one line that I love is, uh, we must remember that the purpose of public education is not to teach only what parents want their children to be taught. It is to teach them what society needs them to be taught. Now, perhaps I should have warned you to keep your hands on the wheel. I apologize. This is what we're fighting. The belief the idea that her having a master's degree gives her more sound reasoning than the parent. She is actually de facto saying parents should have to subject to a background check, not just to decide what's in a curriculum, but to whether or not they actually get to parent. She has made the determination that her master's degree makes her a parent. Nope, not a parent, a guardian. Nope, not a guardian. Simply in charge of your children, because why should your children belong to you? Society needs them to know things, and therefore we must help them know them, because you can't. You, in the great words of Monty Python, are not qualified. The level of disgusting of these people astounds. But look how... Look how she states that she has a master's degree, because that's what it took to teach. Just because they said it took a master's degree. Because they wanted to help their friends in higher education get paid. You really think it takes a master's degree? I mean, really and truly, do you think it takes a master's degree? I'm asking the teachers out there. I'm not saying they don't think their master's degree is, isn't valuable. I'm saying they think it is valuable. But is that what you think creates the good teacher, the master's degree? Or is that the system that we set up to benefit all of those other teachers who now teach on the university level so they can continue to be paid and be important? Oh, we provide uh, these people a great educational basis so they can get their master's degree so they can go out there and be great teachers. Dear Lord, this is price fixing like it was three guys with a last name ending in a vowel figuring out the price of concrete. Oh, and I'm going to get a lot of heat for that. Oh, I'm going to get a lot of heat for that. Uh, it, it's, it's okay. Everyone just calm down. You don't need a master's degree. Let's say it again. You don't need a master's degree. I'm not saying you didn't enjoy getting your master's degree. I'm not saying your master's degree didn't teach you something. 
that you found helpful as you share uh, things uh, in, in educating students, I'm stating you don't need one. Only in the world of public education have we decided that there's this idea that the parent can't. This ridiculous, nonsense, garbage idea that the parent can't. Of course, the one-room schoolhouse was taught uh, by uh, the parents. Of course, there's homeschooling, not master's degrees, possibly, although there could be plenty of doctorates, for all I know, in the homeschooling. They decided they didn't need any part of this woman's master's degree. Maybe that's why you call these homeschooling parents terrible. Maybe that's why you put out the fear-mongering that they're endangering their children. Maybe that's why you make the claim that these kids are all antisocial and not able uh, to engage. Maybe that's why you do it. Because you believe to your soul that you're the only people who can do it right. And you take this degree and you put it upon yourself like a suit of armor. And now you can do battle because who can hurt you? What with your fortification of a master's degree? Like it's supposed to make us genuflect. My kids uh, are, in public, are in public schools. And I have stated more than once that I am remarkably impressed um, remarkably, remarkably impressed with their education. I am most pleased, and I keep an eye on it. And the minute I am not pleased, well, that will be the end of that. It will be the end of that. Because the school is not the final arbiter and what I believe is in education for my children, I am. I am the beginning, the middle, and the end of the education they get. That's my job. And any teacher who believes they can challenge me for the job is going to lose. This should be the mantra of all parents when dealing with such teachers who believe that somehow, because of a degree, they know better. Now, those of you who have been around the show long enough know that when it comes to degrees, I don't have one. I graduated high school. I never graduated college, never got an advanced degree. I have no college degree. None. You think I'd be worried about debating any teacher in the state of Indiana, any teacher in the Midwest, any teacher in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Atlanta, Georgia, or St. Louis? Not for a second. Let's go talk. Do we believe that the college degree is the only measure of education? It's exactly what they want you to believe. This is not about being anti-college or anti-education. This is certainly about reminding you that the expert class actually believes that they should be able to control you. They should be able to decide for you. And you should be thankful that they decide for you. If you ever questioned whether or not this was happening, all I can do is share with you what is. This is happening. That there are people out there who don't believe that you should have a say. There are people out there who believe that you should not have a voice. 
they have decided that you don't have a piece of paper that only they hand out. And the only way to get that piece of paper is to do everything they say and believe everything that they believe. Only then are you worthy and are touched with the secret knowledge. Because if you have a difference of opinion, well, my gosh. They're going to try and move you out. Like those freshmen complaining about a teacher because the work's too hard or something like that. Because they believe they know best. So not only do the people who have the piece of paper believe they know best, the people in pursuit of the piece of paper proving that they know best believe they know best. Your job is to fight against this false armor. Fight against these people who believe that they should have some level of power over your life because of some paper that hangs on their wall. They don't have power over you. And you have to fight to ensure that's the way it stays. As I said, I have no issue with education. I just never said it had to come from a university. Education is up to you. Learning how to fight is up to you. Whether or not you will fight is up to you. And for every teacher out there, I decide everything for my kid. Glad we had this talk. I'm Tony Katz. The 10 days of revival have come to an end at Asbury University. And I think it has to do with safety and security of the town. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Really a fascinating story. It started as a um, a worship service um, on February 8th. Right? Standard worship service at, at the, I guess, on the university grounds. And at the end, people refused to leave. They were still going to pray. They were still going at it and still going at it. And this goes on for a full day. And then two days. And then three. And then people are like, what in the world is going on here? And people started coming from everywhere to Asbury, Kentucky. They started coming from all across the country. The town could not keep up. There were more people than bathrooms. Restaurants could not feed people. There were no hotel rooms. Nothing. The town got overwhelmed. And you started to get the feeling that we're not even mad. It's just there's a real safety issue at play. We can't go on. We can't go on with this. Now... Could they have? Could they not have? I mean, only 1,700 kids go to this school. They just wouldn't stop. And many people, of course, are going to make the claim that, that, that these people are just ridiculous and silly and spaghetti monster, whatever it is they say to attack Christians. In a world that, that, that values nothingness and talks about like a, a concept of emptiness and hopelessness and everything's wrong and everything's awful and you're terrible and this and that. Like, isn't there, isn't it possible that people are kind of searching for something? And maybe that's why they stayed. 
I think it's a fascinating story. It really is. Also fascinating, the New York Times is standing up. David Marcus joins us next to discuss it from Daily Mail. This is Tony Katz today. So it's a very interesting moment when you find yourself applauding the New York Times, considering how much time you spend engaged in derision of the New York Times. And it's not that they haven't earned it or they deserve it. They've earned it and they deserve it. They have failed on a multiplicity of levels. So why is it now in a conversation about transgenderism and transgender children that all of a sudden the New York Times is standing up all of a sudden the New York Times after being presented with a letter signed by 200 I guess they call themselves important people said no we're going to keep having open honest conversations here and why doesn't it apply to anything else or is this the start of perhaps the New York Times realizing that they've created the monster as we have often discussed Tony Katz Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. David Marcus joins us right now, columnist over at the Daily Mail. He's the author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. You can find Charade over there at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. The article over at DailyMail.com, The Gray Lady Grows a Spine. This is the story of these New York Times contributors who sent a letter to the New York Times, their their editorial board, others, uh, um, publisher, saying, you're not being good enough to to transgender this, to transgender that. Stop promoting articles that are anti-trans. And the New York Times said, no, you've got a different mission than us, and we're going to keep doing our thing. Walk me through this letter. Walk us through how the New York Times responded, and then how has the left responded to their usually reliable New York Times? Yeah, thanks for having me, Tony. Um, so what was notable here is we'll all remember a couple of years ago when Senator Tom Cotton ran a piece in the midst of the George Floyd riots suggesting that maybe the National Guard should be used, right? I, there was an absolute revolt in by the Wokesters in the New York Times newsroom. Uh, they basically retracted the piece. They they they. they all, they, they showed the door to the opinion editor who was, who was really forced out because of it. And it was clear that the inmates were running the asylum. So there's every reason to believe when these 200 writers sent this letter saying, hey, stop running these articles that are critical of, you know, trans interventions for children, that the New York Times would buckle again. And they didn't. And I think there's two primary reasons, the first being cultural, which is the worm is turning on this issue. As it gets more and more play, people have real questions about doing this to kids. People have questions about girls' sports. People have questions about men in women's prison. This is running headlong into public policy and can't be ignored. And another difference, and this is a little more in the weeds, this is talking about straight news stories, not opinion stories. And that's going to be a very different line for the leadership of the New York Times when they're being asked to adjust not the opinions that people have on the op-ed page, but the actual reporting of straight news, and they just weren't willing to go there. Which takes you down the road of exactly where these activists are. Never mind if you were to write opinion, they will call you hateful, they'll call you a fearmonger, you're leading people to suicide. To be opposed to data being described in these news stories is, is this remarkable indication of exactly how far this this small but rather vocal group and influential group it would seem is really willing to go 
Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, they want discourse about this issue shut down entirely. Their justification for that being, you know, a, a vague threat that this is going to lead to physical harm, that this is going to lead to trans people hurting themselves or being hurt by other people. Um, and it's a line that the left uses a, a, a lot now. It's kind of a heckler's veto. Uh, and it's good to see. But, I mean, dig this, man. Not only did the Times tell these guys to pound sand in regards to the letter, but the very next day they ran an op-ed in defense of J.K. Rowling, of course, the Harry Potter author who has been critical uh, of the trans movement. That really heaped insult on injury. I mean, that was, that was a smack in the face of these people. And one of the people who signed uh, the, the, the letter, Gretchen Felker Martin, has tweeted out how she wanted to literally kill, not figuratively, not said in any other way, but they actually want to kill J.K. Rowling. So these are the people who are out there saying the New York Times can't engage in these kinds of conversations, yet they're the ones threatening anybody who doesn't agree with them. That that doesn't it's seem uh, that doesn't seem odd or hypocritical to them. I, look, I can't really get in their heads, which may, you know maybe is a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean <laughs> it, 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 it's obviously hypocritical. I, I mean, look, this is the crowd that says words are literally violence, right? If you say the wrong opinion, you are committing an actual act of violence. And then this person turns around and tweets out an actual death threat. Yes, I I mean, of course it's abject madness that can only make sense to somebody so convinced of their own rightness and correctness that no other ideas can even be dealt with. Talking to David Marcus, columnist at the Daily Mail, author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. You can find that at Amazon.com. Going back through this, and one of the things that we see in in this fight, and I know you talk often about the cultural issues, is that you see groups like the Human Rights Campaign screaming about what it is that the New York Times has done. And then you see GLAAD, which is uh, ostensibly this this pro-gay organization putting out these these roving uh, uh, mobile bu- uh, billboards, right? They're digital billboards on the back of trucks. Join 100-plus organizations and leaders calling on the New York Times to change. The, the question is, since when did being gay all of a sudden make the determination that you're also in favor of these things isn't this and i've been discussing this a lot isn't this the hijacking of people those letters that you've decided now as a political movement to move an ideology and somehow give you cover yes yes it is and this is something they don't get a lot of attention but I, i think i wrote my first piece back at the federalist in 2015 or 2016 of a different brand of gay activists who want to drop the T from LGB, right? They say, this is not the same thing. You're glomming onto this. But here's why they want to do it. Here's why the trans activists, transgender activists need to do it. So, I mean, it has nothing to do with these kids, right? Their contention is that they were born in the wrong body, right? The same way that somebody is born gay or born lesbian, that this is not a choice that they're making, that this is just a sort of, reality that they were born with in order for that to be true there have to be trans kids just like there are gay kids and that's what's so insidious about this this has nothing to do with 
giving children the care that they need. This has to do with affirming delusional adults who need these kids to exist or else their entire philosophy falls apart. It's really bad. You mentioned, uh, as you you came in, you talked about Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, what his op-ed was all about and the response to that. And what his op-ed was about was about this idea that do you need to bring in any level, level of military to put down the violence that was happening at a lot of Black Lives Matter rallies, et cetera. That was, was his op-ed. And then you had these writers at the New York Times saying that they were, they were scared and they were shook and they, they don't know if they can go on. And that led to the ousting, I believe, uh, of the editor. Now you see how they react to this. In your view, and you do write about it, What's the difference between these two moments? I think both were deeply censorious and wrong-minded. You know, full disclosure, I wrote a few columns for the New York Times back in 2018 under that op-ed editor, James Bennett, who really was trying to bring actual conservative voices, right? Like not Adam Kinzinger, not Liz Cheney, but trying to bring actual conservative voices to the op-ed page at the Times because he rightfully felt like the readership was not getting an actual, an accurate picture um, of what today's conservatives believe. Again, that, that was horrible that they forced him out and that his mission was not able to be accomplished. That became clear to me very quickly when I saw like what they would accept and what they wouldn't accept. And it wasn't the place that I felt comfortable contributing to anymore. What's worse about this, and again, I, did, I mentioned this at the top, what's worse about this is they're talking about straight news. They're talking about actual news reporting. So we know that there are tons of people out there who transitioned as teenagers now regret it and are facing lifelong consequences for that decision that they made. We have to be allowed to talk about that. Those people can't be silenced, and that's exactly what the letter signers are are, are attempting. I don't disagree. My question is, why did the New York Times pick this to stand up to? They didn't stand up to those saying, how dare Senator Cotton, but they're standing up to this. So is it really that idea of straight news, or is there something about this subject that they feel requires a more open, robust conversation, rightly or wrongly? Listen, I, 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 you know, I, I, don't, I, I can't back this up with any data, but knowing what I know about the way that people who write for the New York Times tend to live, my guess is that the leadership of the New York Times who send their kids to fancy private schools and who go to all the right cocktail parties, they're seeing this in their own lives. They're, they're seeing that there's three, four, ten kids at the fancy public school who are 12 years old and identify as trans, and I think – that might be a wake-up call, right? I mean, they don't, they don't live on the south side of Chicago and have to deal with the crime issue. Like they, they, it, none of that stuff affects them. This may be affecting them, and I think that might be part of the reason why they're taking a different attitude this time around. David Marcus, you can find the piece at Daily Mail. Uh, Go check out Daily Mail and, of course, his book at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Charade, the COVID lies that crushed a nation. You can find that, as I said, at Amazon. David Marcus, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more to get to, guys. I'm Tony Katz. So Marvel just keeps on rolling. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. 
$120 million opening. I mean, that's just good stuff. I, I think if you're them, that's good stuff. And that was just in the U.S. Uh, I think it did more than that uh, internationally. I think it brought them in like 220, 230 million nationally over the the, the weekend. Solid, solid uh, work. Third best opening in the U.S. for Marvel for a um, President's Day weekend, or, or is it just in general? Because Black Panther had two hundred forty-two million, and Deadpool had one hundred fifty-two million. But you could argue that both of those were more anticipated, not seen anything like it. This is a a sequel on a sequel on a sequel. And and you you know the, the 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 characters already. You're you're not gonna be surprised by it. Now there is the introduction of new characters because this whole thing is the next phase. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. I actually thought this was phase four, and then I read that it was phase five, and I'm like, well, did I miss phase four, or is is that what is is that what all the series were? Like everything that we saw on Disney Plus. Is that what Phase Four was uh, of Disney? So I was trying to trying to figure it out. What makes up Phase Four? Here's here's what I have. Here here's the Phase Four films. Um, that would be Legend of the Ten Rings, Shang Chi, Shang Chi, which was I thought a fun movie. I thought that was a a fun movie. Shang Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, Black Widow. Then there was Eternals, which was trash. Eternals was awful, terrible, miserable. Then there was Spider-Man No Way Home, and I forgot all about it. I forgot about Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, and, and so, and then Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, followed by Thor: Love and Thunder, which I thought was a really bad movie. I thought it was a really, really, really bad movie. I don't, I don't know about other people. I don't know how they felt. Really bad movie. And then it was Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So I really forgot about a fair number of these as part of that phase four for them. And then I'm like, all right, so what in the world is phase five? Well, it starts, it starts with this. It starts with what they're doing with, with Quantum Mania. And I find, you may not be into Marvel, and that's totally fine. How they develop it out, that's the part that fascinates me. I mean, it is unreal how they develop it out. So, Phase 5 starts with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Then there is Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Volume 3. Then there's the Marvels. Captain America, New World Order. So, that'll be... uh, That'll be what's an Anthony Mackie as as Captain America. Then there's Thunderbolts I know nothing about and Blade I know nothing about. So that's all phase five stuff. It's amazing. It's amazing it's still making money because my my faith in in Kevin Feige, who's the the producer of all this, that's real. He's proven it. He's earned it. So, you know, go uh go show us what you got. Right there. Uh, my faith in Disney, zero. Less than zero is is my faith in Disney. None. Zero. Less than zero. So, you know, we'll see. 
We will see what we will see what we will see. Meanwhile, phase six is Deadpool 3 uh, and Fantastic Four. And um, uh, then uh, Avengers the Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars. And I think the whole Kang thing is what comes from Quantumania, right? Yeah, I got that right. I got that right. What I want from Marvel is no wokeness. Don't do any of the stuff that the Disney people think you should do to a film. That's the fear. Because the Disney people, who have a great history of making films, can't figure out how to leave well enough alone. They always, a little more woke and you got to have this. No, just make good films. No one cares if a Marvel character is gay. But if it doesn't add to the storyline... No one cares that the Marvel character is gay. So stop. Just make the movie. That's what matters. It's like when when you hear these organizations upset with the Super Bowl commercials. They weren't gay enough. Not enough gay representation in the commercials. No one can ever be satisfied. No one can ever be satisfied. If every character in every commercial for the Super Bowl was gay, you would have groups saying, why weren't there more commercials? How come this group didn't make a commercial with gay characters? If the character makes sense for the thing, you do it. If it doesn't, you don't. And that's true of straight characters and gay characters and all kinds of characters. Mostly, is it interesting? That's the only thing we care about. Is the story interesting? Does it bring us to a place? That's all we care about. I only hope Marvel sticks with that. I have to put faith in Kevin Feige, the producer, that they will. This is Tony Katz today.